welcome to episode 31 of the Ubuntu Security Podcast. I'm Alex Murray, and this week we'll be looking at the usual roundup of vulnerabilities and fixes for the supported Ubuntu releases, talking some vulnerabilities in GNOME Shell, FFmpeg, sudo, uh, GhostScript is back yet again, and uh, Monit as well. And we're also going to have a talk to Joe about some recent stuff, about uh, some uh, malicious Docker containers and about uh, Git repos getting uh, wiped and ransomed for Bitcoin. Okay, so let's get into it. So this week, there were 14 unique CVEs that we've addressed across the supported Ubuntu releases. The first one I wanted to talk about is in GNOME Shell. Uh, This was a one update for Bionic and Cosmic. Uh, later versions like Disco uh, were not vulnerable and the same with earlier versions before that like Xenial were also not vulnerable but in this case uh, what we're looking at is that uh, they made a change where uh, menu actions could be able to be triggered uh, while the lock screen was active and so this then meant that uh, you could uh, activate those on both Bionic and Cosmic and potentially bypass certain aspects of the lock screen. In particular, uh, you could do things like turn on the screen reader, which might say read out the contents of a window that's behind the lock screen, uh, or you might be able to take screenshots. Obviously, then you could potentially fill up the disk uh, Yeah, while that's happening. Uh, so in this case, it was just fixed by disabling all menu items while that screen lock was active. Uh, Next up, we've got an update for ARIA 2. So this is a command line download tool, a bit like uh, curl or wget. Uh, But in in particular, it includes things like a BitTorrent client as well, so a bit more advanced. Uh, But in this case, ARIA 2 was uh, storing your credentials uh, in its log file if you told it to enable logging while it was running. Uh, So this was fixed by just uh, masking those out during the logging process. And yeah, that was updated for Cosmic and Disco. We've got an update for FFmpeg. Five CVEs here fixed for Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. Uh, a range of different uh, denial of service issues, uh, a couple different uh, CPU related denial of services in uh, the Matroska and HTML subtitle decoding that we're using a complex uh, argument to scanf, and it was fixed by just basically re implementing that manually in C. Uh, Then uh, there was a couple different issues discovered by Google's OSS Fuzz project, which does uh, fuzzing across a huge cluster of machines, Uh, found two different out-of-bound reads that could be triggered uh, in the MPEG-4 decoder, as well as a potential null pointer dereference and out-of-bounds read in the HEVC decoder. And finally, uh, we fixed uh, an assertion failure where if you happen to miss the audio packet size when encoding for FLV. So they've all been fixed for FFmpeg. Next up is an update for sudo. So two CVEs here fixed for Xenial. The first one uh, was that sudo would try to parse proc uh, PID stat file uh, to determine what the controlling terminal was. Now, uh, your controlling terminal could potentially contain new lines, but all sudo would do was do read line on this, and so it would get uh, just the start of that, and so it would get a truncated name for that. And so as such, it could get confused about what the controlling terminal was, and so if this was then run with SE Linux, uh, it could go and potentially overwrite an arbitrary file if you were able to create a symlink from that, uh, you know, from that truncated name back to you know, whatever file you wanted to overwrite. Uh, because it would then redirect standard out standard error to that. Uh, so this was fixed by just making sure that it would parse any new lines as well included uh, from that to make sure it got the proper name for the controlling terminal. Uh, there was also an update because sudo 
Uh, it contains the ability to restrict uh, what users who have pseudo access can run using the noexec tag. So what you can do here is you can say, you know, this person can run things, but then once, you know, say they're running a, a command, they can then only spawn further commands. Uh, and so it does that by essentially interposing on the exec uh, system call. And it does that by using an LD preload wrapper to essentially replace exec and other things uh, with versions that return errors. The problem was that the, uh, the C library function word exp, which allows you to perform shell expansion on a string. And as you might be familiar, shells can contain uh, command execution, things like using you know, dollar with, uh, with braces to then you know, expand a variable or a command, or um, sorry, dollar with parentheses, uh, or you could use you know, backticks, that kind of thing. And it would then go and execute that command and replace you know, that string with the output of the command. And this LD preload wrapper was not uh, wrapping WordExp. So you could still do uh, other command execution that would bypass that noexec tag that you had in your sudo as file. So it was fixed by adding WordExp to the LD preload wrapper, but as well introducing a setcom filter to make sure that all exec VE, uh, you know, no matter how you called exec VE at the end of the day, uh, got in, uh, intercepted and stopped at the kernel level via setcom as well. Uh, we've got an update for WPA Supplicant and Host APD. Uh, this is one CVE here fixed for trusty extended security maintenance, Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. So all the uh, basically all the supported releases. Uh, one CVE here, as I said, uh, this was a possible null pointer D reference that could be triggered by an attacker uh, if they were able to construct out of sequence EAP message fragments. And this affected both the, the peer, the client uh, half, and as well as the server half. And so it's essentially just fixed by making sure that it would validate the fragments and reject invalid ones as they came in. Uh, next up is one you've probably heard me mention uh, a huge number of times in this podcast. GoScript is back. So one CVE here fixed for Xenial, Bionic, Cosmic, and Disco. This is actually an update uh, or a follow-up to a previous CVE that we mentioned all the way back in episode 18. Uh, and in that case, uh, it was discovered by uh, Tavis Ormandy and, you know, basically kind of kicked off a lot of this uh, GoScript stuff we've been talking about uh, over the various episodes. And it was that, you know, it would allow access to different system operators bypassing the, uh, the DSafer sandbox that was meant to prevent that kind of stuff. And when we fixed that or when upstream GoScript fixed that and we backported it, there was a bunch of other uh, commands related to PDF files that uh, got missed in that. And so upstream ghost script has now fixed that and we've now backported that, as I said. Uh, so yeah, that closes off a few more avenues for uh, command execution via uh, you know, untrusted PostScript files. And last up, we've got an update uh, for Monit or Monit, depending on how you say it, two CVEs addressed for Cosmic and Disco. So above, uh, a buffer overread uh, was possible when it would decode URLs uh, and in particular could allow a remote authenticated attacker to read other memory because you know they would read outside of that buffer that the URL was contained in. So you could get an information disclosure uh, if they were reading you know, some other memory that was still valid, but if it happened to point off into invalid memory, you could crash a monitor as well. So that's been fixed. And there was also a persistent cross-site scripting uh, when it would decode the authentication header for HTTP basic authorization. So there would be a parameter there that it would go and just use blindly without first uh, sanitizing it. So this could allow an unauthenticated remote attacker to inject arbitrary uh, JavaScript, in particular in the Vlog operation. And so this was fixed just by making sure that that was properly escaped and sanitized before being used. 
and last up, uh, a quick update for Bind. So one CVE here fixed for precise extended security maintenance and trusty extended security maintenance. So a couple of weeks ago, episode 29, I talked about this uh, fix that was for the standard support releases. And so this has now been fixed for our extended security maintenance releases as well. So yeah, if you want more details than that, please go listen back to episode 29. Okay, so that takes us to the end of the roundup of updates for the week. Uh, next up, I had a discussion with Joe McManus this week about uh, some malicious Docker Hub images as well as uh, some different Git repo takeovers that were happening and in particular uh, for an attacker that was essentially rant trying to ransom people for Bitcoin as a result. Yeah, this week I read an interesting post on ThreatPost, which if you're not following is a great source for security info. It had, it had an article on how um, malicious Docker images were being served up through Docker Hub that were um, crypto mining Monero. What is interesting is it's not, it's malicious, but it's not malware. So these had, these were software or Docker images for things that are common. I think they, what I read was they were configuration tools for things like Tomcat, MySQL, and Cron. Um, some of these, I guess there were 17 images, they were downloaded 5 million times in the month that they were online. And um, I think of the 17, nine had the crypto mining software installed at the time you installed the, the Docker image. The others had some sort of remote connectivity where the crypto mining software would get installed afterwards. So these 5 million downloads collectively mined $90,000 in crypto uh, currency for Monero. And they were able to tie it all back to one person because it all went to the same wallet. So yeah, I guess what I find interesting about this is we often talk about like these sorts of things in context of um, supply chain compromises, you know. Uh, but in this case, it, these weren't images that already were popular and then got backdoored. They just were images that someone uploaded that were already essentially backdoored from the start. So somewhere people aren't doing their due diligence on the images that they are even starting with, right? Like it's one thing to start using an image and you know you go, oh yeah, this thing's clean, I use it. And then it happens to get backdoored. So it's a little harder to detect that. But if you choose to use an image, uh, I guess I would hope that people are doing some kind of, uh, you know, vetting on the stuff that they're using, but clearly not. Yeah, and I'm not familiar enough with Docker Hub to answer this question, but I think in most cases you can see a Docker file and you can review it and see what's going on. But I, I could be wrong, but I believe in Docker Hub, maybe you don't have access to that file, so you don't know what's being built in. Although, like I said, I'm not an expert in, in Docker Hub. So, but I also think this is really interesting. These were Tomcat, MySQL, Cron. These aren't your traditional things you think of when you think of malware. These weren't things to let you download the latest Game of Thrones illegally. They weren't um, illegal copies of video games or a way to watch FIFA soccer or football, depending on where you're located. That's what we think of normally when we think of like a, a way to serve malware, not something sort of mundane like Tomcat and MySQL. Quick question, Alex, is it MySQL or MySQL? I don't know. Uh, you've probably heard me on the podcast. I actually yes. say MySQL or MySQL because I don't know. Yeah. But when you're talking about it, what do you say? Uh, I'd say MySQL. Okay. So um, I think this is just a really interesting one. I think it presents a new... I'm not, not really new, I guess, recurring thing we've seen with Docker images. We've seen some malicious Docker images. I think there was a report that came out maybe three months ago about how a number of Docker images had vulnerability, had software with vulnerabilities built in. Then that's an interesting one, though, because 
what were these vulnerabilities? Were they low and medium? Were they negligible? Or were they high and critical? If it, mm. There's a whole lot of CVs that come out and it really is a fool's errand to try to say, I'm going to address every single low one. So I'm not sure exactly what that report was getting at. But at the same point, there could be stale Docker images and security for your containers is some, isn't something you can just forget. Yeah, and being a container, you know, some of these things, while say for us in Ubuntu where uh, you have something installed kind of system-wide, uh, it has a different uh, impact that it may have if it's just in a container. Uh, so maybe the CVEs aren't as relevant, but at the same time, maybe they're even more relevant because in your container is perhaps where you've got, you know, the, the keys to the kingdom for whatever app you're deploying. So yeah, it's definitely not clear that you can just say, go, ah, you know, this has a heap of open CVEs that, that therefore means it's bad, but it also may mean that it's it's quite bad. So it's yeah, uh, deployment dependent. Yeah, and you know you you lose some situational awareness in some containers. So I think you know it would be interesting security, I'll say task to go through and look at what are the what are the ways we can maintain situational awareness for your containers. Can you make sure that you know you've got a app get update upgrade running, you've got unattended upgrades, um, that you're addressing these things, you don't have new users things added like that. Yeah, no cool. So the other thing uh, we wanted to talk about was this recent hack on a heap of different Git repositories on GitHub and Bitbucket and GitLab and the like. Yeah, there was um, something new this week with re- a really interesting thing when we think of ransomware, right? You think of ransomware affecting somebody's PC that hasn't been properly configured in the, you know, they don't have backups. So somebody's infected it and they want their Bitcoins to, um, to decrypt the data. Although I haven't met ready, read many reports that show people actually getting their data back. So that is also, I'll say concerning. But what people did this week, uh, well, I guess what a hacker did this week was find weak passwords or clear text credentials for repos in GitHub, Bitbucket, and GitLab, and then delete all the files in them and hold them for ransom. Saying if you gave 0.1 Bitcoin back, which is around 570 US dollars, you'll get, you'll get your data back. Now, what's really interesting is that what we can tell so far is they didn't actually delete any of the data. They just did something um, with with Git to modify the headers to make it look like the data is actually gone, but you can do a Git ref log, which I have never used. Apparently this tool will let you get your data back because the data is still there. Also, people are encouraging you, instead of paying the ransom, to actually contact your your uh, GitHub or whoever your repo provider is and see if they can do a restore of something from backups. But then here's the interesting thing. You're thinking, especially if you're an open source person, well, you've got all this data on your laptop, right? What's the point of paying? Because all your developers have this content. They can just do a, um, uh, a, a git push, put the data out there. But interestingly, yeah. this is for closed source software. So the threat is pay me or we'll make your closed source software go public. And we saw, I think this, this is fairly dated, but I think in like 2007 or 2008, um, via, some source code from VMware was compromised they think it was nation state and the hackers would periodically publish some of the source code up on to at the time pastebin and this negatively affected vmware in the market at the time because oh no the hackers know what our proprietary software is we shouldn't go with them we should go with someone else um obviously that has passed but for years the hacker would just periodically publish 
a snippet of code. So that's what this person is threatening. So what's I find surprising about this is that uh, I guess yes I I didn't realize that there was that distinction that this was for uh, ostensibly uh, proprietary software. I had assumed this was yeah for open source things, and it was just yes I've I've deleted your files now you don't have them. But obviously being Git as a distributed version control system, everyone who has a clone of that repo actually has everything anyway. So. Um, uh, I guess in this case, were these private repos and that someone had found, uh, as you say, like credentials for them out in the clear? And if so, then clearly, you know, a bunch of systems or people aren't doing their jobs right <laughs> to have left that out in the first place. Or if they're already public, then clearly there was not much to lose. So, yeah, it's a bit of a, a strange one. Um, it, like, it's kind of cool. I, I, I'm glad that uh, the structure of Git as you say, via the, the ref log and whatnot, meant that people could have got their stuff back anyway, um, regardless. So, yeah. Yeah, and I think it's it would be worth setting up a process if this is if you're if you have proprietary code or if you're using any sort of repo to make sure you're not pushing <laughs> .git config anywhere, um, which I don't think people were pushing. Right? They were. It seems like from what I can read, these are probably web hosted applications, and people are accessing it from the web browser, so they're just doing a probably some script out there doing a wget for yep. you know dot git slash config so maybe you should set your <laughs> set some monitoring up inside your infrastructure to look for that to see if it's ever published right and remove yeah. it or or make sure that your web server can can alert you um i'm sure there's like a nessus or moonin plugin or something that you could run to look for things like this and make sure it doesn't happen yeah i wonder joe do you think um is this a change in the way that uh, i guess organizations and their kind of network posture has changed over time in that things are much more ostensibly on the public internet first nowadays rather than everything kind of being behind you know a corporate firewall and dmz and and all of that yeah we've seen just a really big mindset change in the last few years as going to the cloud at one point meant you were a a fast-moving startup and not everybody uses the cloud so that idea of protecting the enterprise by being behind those castle gates of the firewall just really doesn't apply anymore. So it is a different mindset. People are pushing data out. You don't maybe have the same change control process that you would have had in the past with pushing it to your internal IT administrators who would then grab your package, push it online on a Saturday morning. You know, it, it's just not the same, it's not the same world. We're doing CICD, things are being pushed multiple times a day. And so it does change that, I'll say more controlled process of the past. But at the same point, it lets you be much more agile. Instead of waiting six months between releases, you can put out new releases constantly. And it's, it's, I, I wouldn't go backwards, but I think you, it's easy to ignore security when you've got constant changes happening and you sort of release that hold of control and everything. So you need to make sure that security is part of your, your daily operations, part of your DNA. Awesome. Okay, so before we end today, I want to introduce a new thing, Alex. Yeah. Um, I... Uh, I'm I'm a bit of a nerd, and I do enjoy I do enjoy sci-fi books. Um, so I kind of wanted to know what what you're reading this week. Um, I'm reading two things right now. I'm reading the new Guy Kawasaki book, Wise Guy. I actually saw him speak at the MySQL conference, I think in like 2007 or eight, and it was really cool. And I I had to read uh, Art of the Start when I was in grad school, and I thought that was a great book as well. So I'm reading that. And I'm also reading an actual fun book, which is Zero Hour by uh, Craig Allenson. It's a pretty fun sci-fi series about, um, obviously, space aliens and a really intelligent AI that's snarky. So I enjoy that. What are you reading? 
Cool. Uh, I haven't read anything technical for a bit. The last thing I was reading was uh, the Rust programming language, which is uh, a well-written book. But anyway, um, I'll have to write something in Rust one day to actually make use of that. <laughs> uh, but I've been rereading uh, the Wall series by Hugh Howey, uh, really digging that again. Awesome. I read the first one. I'll have to actually finish the series now. So you decided yeah. me to do that. So if anybody listens to this and wants to share some cool books they're reading, let us know in the uh, Ubuntu Sec Twitter. We'd totally love to hear what you're reading. And uh, that's it for me this week. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. I'll speak to you again in another week. Bye, everybody. So thanks again, Joe, for that. I will speak to you again soon. Okay, so uh, last up, just a couple different uh, open job positions that we've got. Uh, we've got an open position for a robotic security engineer on the team. So if you are into ROS, the robotics operating system, and you have a keen interest in security, uh, or and in particular, if you want to be involved uh, in upstream ROS to define what security looks like going forward, we would love to have you on board our team. I urge you to apply for that position. And we've got a new one. This is for a security certifications engineer. So if you are into common criteria and STIG and that kind of thing, and you know those sorts of standards, and you want to help Ubuntu get certified to those standards, and you have you know experience in C in particular, you know, working with OpenSSL and that kind of thing, then we would love you to apply for that role as well. Okay, that takes us to the end of the episode. As usual, if you would like to get in contact with us, you can reach the team at securityubuntu.com. Or you can find us hanging out in the Ubuntu Harden channel on the Freenode IRC network. And I urge you to you know, pop in and say hi and talk to us about anything uh, Ubuntu security related. Or finally, you can hit us up on Twitter at Ubuntu underscore sec. So thanks again, everyone, for listening for another week. Uh, I'll be back again in another week. But until then, remember, keep calm and enable automated upgrades. And I will speak to you again soon. Bye.